Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guests, the strong and powerful Harris Nydek and Greg Makowski. Gentlemen, are you ready to do this? We certainly are. We are ready. Excellent. Harris and Greg are co-founders of CFS Investment Advisory Services. They have been recognized by Barron's, the Financial Times, and Forbes as two of the top wealth advisors in the country. They're also the authors of the book, Common Financial Sense. I'm excited to have you both on. Gentlemen, tell us a little bit about your personal lives, some more about your work, and why it is you do what you do. Well, um... We're, I'm a locally uh, Jersey born and bred guy, and uh, Greg and I met almost 30 years ago and have been together building our organization since then with one thing in mind. How would people want to consume the services that we offer? And, and however we believe we would want to consume them ourselves is how we've built our business here. And that's why we're fee only. We're registered investment advisors, uh, and we everyone in the shop is a certified financial planner who's client-facing so it, it, it's all about in service to the plan all in service to the client so that's that's what the firm is about excellent I think uh, the next book you guys write is how to have a successful partnership over the course of 30 plus years so <laughs> exactly <laughs> excellent well, I, I certainly appreciate that, and I had the opportunity to, to, to read the majority of your book, and I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm fond of saying that, that common sense is not always so common. So what was the, uh, aside from, obviously, you're, you're interested in, in having people effectively use retirement plans, um, but over the course of 30 years, what was the motivator for, for putting pen to paper? Well, we've worked with a lot of um, clients, obviously, and a lot of companies that offered retirement plans to their employees. And what we kept finding uh, was that no one had a large understanding of how investments or the financial industry work. And so they were sold lots of products and had lots of junk drawers of investments, as we call them. And so we would work with these clients and these companies and try to straighten everything out and really educate them on the basics of finance and how the industry worked. And so our clients kept telling us, you really should write a book, you really should write a book because all of this makes sense. So we finally sat down and wrote a book that everyone can kind of understand and it's the basics of education. So we put pen to paper, it was a labor of love and now we're getting a lot of resonance from it, from our clients and then friends of theirs are really enjoying it and saying, aha, I finally get it. Well, good. I think that that's excellent. Obviously, we're interested in, in helping people to, to actually accumulate assets for the potential of one day not working, um, and hopefully people are, are actually able to do that. Um, you talked about the the financial junk drawer, which certainly resonates with me, and that's I, I think that that's so great because we all have one. We, we we all have a junk drawer at home that we don't know what to do with it, so we just throw it in there. And people do have a tendency over the course of five, ten, twenty, thirty, forty years to accumulate 
financial stuff and they don't know necessarily what to do with it. So it is just a matter of, of getting organized and going through that drawer and how, how do you counsel people to, to, to go through that process? Well, that, that's part of it. That's part of it. What we want to do is somehow harness the inertia that sets in with people. When we start out uh, as, 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 as young uh, professionals or young workers, and, and we don't think about what's going to happen 20 or 30 or 40 years down the line. And, and what we have to do is be more aware of that because we actually have the, great, the greatest gift we have is the gift of time. Because with the gift of time comes the gift of compounding. And compounding is your greatest friend when it comes to investing. We all think about what compounding can do to us when we're in debt, but it becomes your friend when you start saving and investing. So you want to harness the inertia that sets in early on. And instead of that, pay yourself first, come up with a basic budget, do some of the basic things so that you can get ahead of uh, the ball on this. I mean, the interesting thing here is, and, and it's common, uh, the three biggest taboos in American society are money, sex, and death. And if you're going to get involved with thinking about your retirement planning, you have to handle two of the three and you don't even get the good one, right? <laughs> For sure. Because the first thing you have to ask yourself if you're going to retire is how, how much money am I going to need to live on to, re to when I retire? Well, the first response is going to be, well, tell me how long you're going to live. Oh, whoa, nobody, that's a heavy subject. Nobody wants to think about it. We don't know the answer to that. And furthermore, if, if I'm 25 or 30 years old, I can't think about 20 or 30 years down the line. I'm thinking about just getting through the month and, 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 and making sure that I've got enough mo money left at the end of the month. And the only way to do that is to pay yourself first through payroll, through your 401k deduction. Yeah, that's really one of the things that makes it so powerful is when we are younger people, we're, we're not in that mindset. But if you can just automate it and get started, you'll be so glad that, 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 that you certainly did that. One of the things I really enjoyed in the, uh, in the introduction of your book is it talked about how this book is for people who are ready to take responsibility for their financial future. Do you think that that's an imperative starting point for doing planning? It absolutely is because if you're not ready to take any of this, that you're, you're, if you're not ready to take responsibility for it yourself, no one's going to be doing this for you. You'll get what others do for you, so to speak, in Social Security allotments and anything else, any other money that you are able to save uh, happenstance along the way. But you can't get from here to a successful retirement by accident. You have to get there with intention. So the first thing we say is, that, look, if you're not if you're not serious about being responsible enough to take care of some of these things. Uh, then, then this book isn't for you. Now, if, if you are able to get past that sentence, we've got some great ideas that are very basic, very straightforward, and incredibly easy to put into action. Is there uh, nobody, well, let me take a step back. I never want to get up in front of anybody or when I'm sitting across the table from somebody and tell them to to get their act together and it's time for you to start doing this and taking some responsibility. I, I always want to soften that a little bit, but then the other part of me says, you know what? Sometimes you need to hit people square between the between the eyes or, or on the nose to, to, to get their attention. Um, you guys have have a lot of experience getting people to change their behavior. Is there is there a secret to it? Well, I think it's a combination of both, right? Some of it some of it is uh, you want to soft pedal it. In fact. Uh, 
I think the term today is adulting, right? It's not maturing or growing up or facing right. back. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we can soften it, but at the end of the day, um, it, it's 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 ourselves that have to make the action to put some money away for today and not uh, sorry for tomorrow and not all for today. For example, uh, we all know what YOLO stands for, right? You only live once. Yep. Very popular concept these days. Now, George, is, is YOLO inexpensive or expensive? Right. It's it's it's, it's, it's one of those trade-offs, right? <laughs> you think, and if you think you only live once is expensive, FOMO is even more expensive. Mm-hmm. You're missing out because you're watching other people on social media having the time of their lives, and now you've got a fear of missing out. You want to go do what they're doing. So FOMO actually costs more because you first have to, first have to pay to get to where everyone else is YOLOing before you can begin YOLOing. <laughs> so 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 we say this. We say this. We came up with another moniker, which is, is spelled H Y P F T I R. Hipta. How are you paying for that in retirement? We're all going to want to YOLO forever. We don't want to just YOLO today. So if we don't take some of the money and put it aside for tomorrow, we'll have nothing left left to YOLO with tomorrow. Yeah, I just read this morning that uh, the number of 65-year-old-plus Americans who are declaring bankruptcy has has tripled or something to that effect uh, over the past several years, and that doesn't surprise me. And that's, I think, an indicator of, of, of more things to come in, in, in that area. So, so I think it's a very important time to be having more firm conversations about adulting or whatever term we want to use to, to, to really get people to, to start saving. So is there, I think that the book was, was, was 15 or so chapters and I, I'm, I'm sure that everyone is there for a reason, but are there certain chapters that you get the most excited about or that resonate the most with people? Uh, well, yeah, ch- chapter eight is the biggest and most important chapter. It's the one that has the most pages. But I, but I think it's the one we can learn the most from. And, and that's learning, learning how to control what you can control versus what you can't control, identifying the difference. Almost, when, once you do make up your mind to do some investing, we spend almost all of our time uh, thinking about the stock market and what's going to happen in the stock market, trying to predict what's going to happen in the stock market. And, what, and the fact is, we've got no control over what happens in the stock market. Right. Absolutely none. There are, are at least... Four or five other things that you absolutely have complete control over, and that's where you should be spending most of your time. Uh, for starters, you can determine uh, how much risk you, you want to take. And risk is a, is a crunchy word because risk could mean 30 different things to a room full of 100 people. It just isn't a word that has, you know, if you hold up an orange, people are going to say, oh, that's a piece of fruit, that's an orange. You hold up a pen, that's a pen. You hold up a smartphone, people are going to say, that's a, that's a smartphone. But what's risk mean to people? In a group of 100 people, you're going to get 30, 40 different answers. So, so understand how much risk you can take and get your head around that. We discussed that. Uh, how much time you can remain invested is something you can control. And that should be a function not of whether or not the market is going up or down. It's when you're going to need the money. And, that, and you're going to need the money when you retire. And even then, you're only going to need dollar one in the first year that you're retired. We don't, it's not like Cinderella where we turn to pumpkins at, at midnight on our 67th birthday right. when, when we retire. Uh, and, and so it, it's the, the, uh, the actuaries tell us that if you make it to 65, there's a 50-50 chance you're going to make it to at least age 85. So you have to be planning for a, 20, 30 years of retirement, and that's something most people don't think about. 
You, and most importantly, you got to control your emotions. <clears throat> it's interesting. You only need good investments. What you need is great behavior. Uh, on page, I think, 72 of the book, uh, uh, we, talk, uh, we talk about, uh, actually, it's not, whatever, it's one of the, it's in the book, but we talk about the returns of investments versus the returns of the average investor. That's actually on page 85. I'm sorry. And it turns out that for over the 20-year period, not to get too wonky, but over the 20-year period between 1997 and 2016, the average stock returned seven and two-thirds percent, but the average investor only made two and a third percent. Wow. And the difference. The difference is attributable to bad behavior. Yeah, I think that those are those are excellent, and I'm such an advocate of focusing on the things that that you have control over versus the stuff that you don't, and perhaps in addition to that, how you respond to to the stuff that happens, which is essentially how are you going to react when the market has a correction because it's going to have a correction. <laughs> so, do you coach people on on in advance, when when the market has a dip, what what it is that they're going to do? Yeah. So what we do is we actually talk to them, and it's interesting when you talk in percentages, like most advisors. Well, you know, the market uh, goes down ten uh, percent, you know, once a year, and goes down twenty percent every two and a half years, and we haven't had a twenty percent decline since the 2008-2009 market crisis. They said, and and you ask them, hey, can you handle a 10 or 20% decline, sure. Okay, let's say that your account gets to be $100,000, and that's really kind of the goal, is to grow your account to $100,000 so that the the real compounding effect takes place. And so can you you afford to lose, in your mind, between 10 and $20,000? I never said that, but that's 10 or 20%. So when you couch it in real dollars, you know, a 10% loss on 1,000 bucks, uh, certainly hurts less than a 10% loss on 100,000 bucks. So as numbers get bigger, the pain gets larger, and then people react irrationally when the pain gets larger. So it's really trying to quantify that and getting them through that. Um, and so it's bad, as Harris says, bad behavior, and it's bad behavior in everything in life that gets us in trouble. It's not just money, right? It's bad behavior or irrational behavior in everything uh, that causes most of the problems that people face. I don't know anything about that. I've never, I've never did it. Uh, <laughs> you guys are talking about somebody else. And I think that a lot of the time that that's what percentages, when you start talking in percentages to people, they're like, oh, you know, whatever, sure. That's not going to happen to me. I'll be the, I'll, I'll, I'll be in the group that that's not negatively impacting. But once you do break it down, it's $10,000 or that's a hundred thousand dollars. Like, whoa, whoa. Okay. Uh-huh. Let's take a step back here. Um, you, you, you mentioned risk and, and how that's a, a crunchy term. How do you coach people to, to better understand what their actual understanding and level of risk is? Well, you, there are lots of, um, programs now, game programs. So we use um, some gamification programs to try to create a game that puts a person in a real life situation where they have to make financial decisions in the game. And then that comes up with a, um, an emotional risk score. So the emotional risk score is a number. And then we match the number to um, how the investment portfolio should be built. And the interesting thing is, is 
sometimes that number uh, doesn't really reflect the financial risk that they have to take to achieve their goals. Because remember, uh, when you have a goal, which is this point in time out in the future, you have a certain period of time and you can save a certain amount of money and you have to take a certain amount of risk to earn a return that you need. Well, if your emotional risk doesn't meet what you financially have to take as risk, then that's the, the conversation, the hard conversation. You have to take more risk to achieve your goals or else you have to work longer and then there's all these trade-offs. So it's really ascertaining the emotional risk because what people do is they pull the, the parachute when the world is starting to fall apart and they try to bail out at the very wrong time. Also, there's a misunderstanding, again, fundamental misunderstanding of what the word risk means. Most people define investment risk as opening up their statement or looking at it on the screen and seeing that the account has gone up or down in value. That's volatility. And volatility on, in the short term is, is going to happen. But the stock market is the most counterintuitive market anywhere because what hurts short term, the volatility, and what's very risky short term on a day-to-day -day basis over long periods of time, 10, 20, 30 years, has the least amount of risk, has the highest percentage of, of success. So there's a difference between volatility and risk. So it's a very counterintuitive, but also something else that makes the stock market very counterintuitive is that when the stock market is up, we're all feeling great. That's when we should be feeling lousy because everything's fully priced. Right. When the stock, stock market goes down by 20%, it's, it, you know, it, sh it should be like an after Christmas sale. Uh, at the shopping mall or on Amazon or anywhere else we buy our stuff because if the great companies in America are on sale for 20 or 25% off, we should be running in to buy them. But instead, it's like gasoline on a roaring fire. We're rushing to sell, sell, sell. Very counterintuitive. Makes no sense to us. Right, because risk is what you said earlier. Uh, a large number of people over 65 are declaring bankruptcy because, so the, to us, that's risk. You're, you know, 70 years old you're healthy and you're broke, or you're 80 years old, you're healthy and you're broke, um, that's risk to us, and that's the risk that we're trying to get people to understand and get through, that kind of risk. I appreciate that. Gentlemen, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? The big tip. So create a game, and so gamification is really kind of the buzzword, and so the game that you want to create is you need, and, and every game has a certain kind of fundamentals. And in, in a game, a really good game is you need an opponent, right? Someone to play against. So you want to create a game of who can save the most. And you have to find an opponent, and the opponent can be a significant other. Uh, it could be a friend. It could be a family member. And so you set up the game of, um, let's see, it's August. So by the end of this year, who can save the most in their either retirement plan or into your savings account and create that opponent with the other game. And then do, um, uh, and a game has a, you have to have a time clock, so it's December 31st. And now on a weekly basis, kind of check in with your opponent to see how they're doing and see if you can beat your opponent. So gamification is the buzzword, create the game and see if you can actually beat your opponent. Because we all know that in order to get to retirement, you have to be saving somewhere near 15% of your after-tax income towards retirement to be successful. But most people can't even think of starting at that point. So start at 1%. Can't do 1%? Can't do, do a dollar. Right. And, and by, you could start this game with a dollar. 
there's no reason not to begin the game. And if you're accountable to somebody else, your chances of success are greater. And even if you don't beat your opponent, you still won because you've set aside more money than you otherwise would have. There are no losers in this game. Right. So on page 73 is uh, the dollar a week game. So that's uh, an easy game to play. Uh, so read that part of the book, uh, the dollar a week game, and then see if you can beat your opponent. I love it. That is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage, Na- Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of the book? The book is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, in addition to that, you can always reach out to Greg and I at uh, through CFSIAS.com or Harris at CFSIAS.com, Greg at CFSIAS.com. We're both on LinkedIn and fairly active on LinkedIn, and that's where you can see most of our, uh, our postings and articles. And we'd love to hear from people. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Greg and Harris your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up a copy of their book at Amazon or Barnes the Noble and look them up on LinkedIn, which I will list all the links to in the notes of the show. Thank you again, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!